Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Darren. Darren, it's great to have you on the show this morning. How are you this morning, Darren? Oh, well, great. I'm in air. It's good to be back again. The sun's shining. Yep. The sun is shining. Life is good. Yes, indeed. What are you thankful for this morning? I'm thankful for soup. Soup? Went home last night, cooked up um, veggies out of the garden and a few extras and made a lovely vegetable soup on a cold night. And in this COVID world, soup is comforting. Soup. Soup is even better soup when it comes out of your garden. You've got a bit of a legendary garden happening there in the backyard. So you've got the whole garden happening. You've got the chickens laying eggs. You've got the ducks laying eggs. It's a bit, of a, of... You know, a bit of a self-help home, out backyard type of um, loving it. Loving... Living, living the dream, living the dream. Hey, um, how, many, how many fruit trees you got out there? How many? Fruit trees? 44. 44 fruit trees, big old garden. But how, yeah. ma- how much land is that on? Um, we're on three quarters of an acre. Three quarters of an acre, um, yeah. There's two fruit trees in the front, person trees that are over 100 years old, planted by one of the um, Kurumbong pioneers, and um, we love them. A fellow by the name of Stephen Haskell, an American, I understand. That's right. That's yes, right. We, we own, we own his property, so... Oh, man, this is fantastic. Amazing uh, what you're doing there in your backyard. I wish I had that growing in my backyard. Unfortunately, I don't. But uh, let me see. What should I be thankful for this morning? I'm thankful this morning that I'm thankful for head torches. Yeah? Yeah, why not? See, they they are so practical and make life so easy when you're working at night. (laughs) I'm glad that somebody invented them along with LED lights and lightweight batteries so that you don't have to carry those big old um, heavy kind of things that you used to have back in the past. And I was using one last night to great effect. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. What is happening in positively different news, Darren? Well, it was a bit hard today because I'm reading through the new, section of the news, trying to find something. And There's no it, such thing as positive news these days. <laughs> a lot of COVID stuff. A lot of people are worried about COVID. Um, yes. And uh, Melbourne, of course, in here in Australia, um, um, kicked up yesterday with um, over 700 cases. Thinking of you guys. I'm a Victorian, so my state of origin, I'm worried about you guys and hang in there and um, follow the rules and let's get through this together. Now, you're only just Victorian, right? Mutura? Yeah, well, we're on the border, but... How far are you from the border? Uh, 20Ks. <laughs> so just Victorian. I grew up on the New South Wales side. I went to a church in the Victorian conference, which was on the New South Wales side of the border. So, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, little Dayton church. Um, um, yeah. Fantastic. But anyway, now, but the good news amongst all this I found was, and this is good news for me, I don't know about others, but do you like reading books? Oh, I'm an avid book reader. So am I. I've yes. got a whole office here. <laughs> Voracious book reader. Yeah, no, well, I try and read at least two or three a week if I can, or at least gets. Yeah. I'm not that much of a book reader. Yeah, well, I, I, my mum taught me to read, but it says while in confined with COVID, um, what they're finding is that many are finding the comfort and the entertainment and the escape of a book is the way to go. Yes. Um, Many have shared their own quarantine reading lists. Wonder what's on top of your list. Um, what's your top book of all time? Give us a call if you have one that you want to share with us or text us. And recommendations to ease the worries and general boredom of what's happening in public. 
This does not come as a shock considering books have brought consolement throughout difficult times for many years. However, the feeling of a hardcover book and its pages in your hands is much warmer and comforting than that of an e-reader. Absolutely. With buttons or computers with keys. Remember the, t- the time the books are going to be gone and we're going to be all on electronic? Well, no. I hate reading no. books on screens, to be honest. Well, and the thing is, I find that people don't go to sleep. Books put you to sleep, generally, when you read at night. Um, they make you feel sleepy, but e-readers make you feel awake. So, so that's part of the problem of having an e-reader. Um, there, there is a tactile sensation which enables readers to emotionally connect with a story and its characters if they can feel the realness of it in their hands. I That's love that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Also, the books have weight and texture, not quite like an e-reader, and even a smell that many people love. I love going to oh, bookstores. yes. <laughs> Every time I buy a new book, I smell it. I don't know why. Why is that? It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Behind, humans are weird creatures, but... You know, particularly Bibles, because often you'll get leather associated with Bibles, and you get leather, you get paper, you get ink, and it just creates the most amazing smell when you buy a new Bible. Yeah, no, I was in um, our Better Box and Food Store last night buying some Bibles, actually, some brand new Bibles out that um, the youth guys here wanted to have a look at, so I was a designated person to go into the Better Box and Food and live out there and bring these Bibles in. And the um, first thing I did was open it up in the store and had a smell. Take a whiff. <laughs> we are weird. And Floss creatures. there, get out. Good morning to Floss. I think she looked at me and said, "What the heck is he doing?" <laughs> <laughs> we are very, very strange, strange creatures indeed. Did you know there's a name for it, for the smell? Uh, no. There's a term called enjoyment of the smell of print books. Biblios, bibliosmia. Bibliosmia. There you go, bibliosmia. So the name for the smell of a book even includes the word Bible within it. That's kind right. Of. That's kind right. Of. Yeah. Well, the Bible is the greatest selling book of all time. Still That's is, right. and I guess always will be. And yeah. Um, so there you go. Um, reading books. Now, my mum taught me to read books as a kid. Um, she read to us every single night. Um, uh-huh. The Uncle Arthur's My Bible Story. Now, that is well worth having in your home. If you don't have that in your home, then with your kids, you're missing something because it is probably the best written book about the Bible stories. Absolutely. If you'd like to get your set, then give us a call here on 1-800-324-843. We can make that happen for you. Uh, generations of kids have grown up with those, and they are absolutely sensational. Your mum will um, read them every single night, and I think um, I call it the Adventist advantage. I don't want to brag or anything, but the Adventist advantage is that most Adventists can win at any quiz because all of the facts... In fact, you'll get this quiz question here right if you'd read these. Oh, no. Oh, no. I grew up on these books. Oh, no. Because all the facts and little quirks come out of those stories. um, And, and, yeah, Adventists have grown up traditionally knowing their Bible story because of Uncle Arthur's Bible story. It's kind of the space within Christianity that that we own is um, general Bible knowledge. That's right. That's um, right. Not to put down anybody else, but everybody has their own space. That's our space there for sure. And uh, if you can brag about something, you may as well brag about something. But I remember, you know, I, I was read those stories myself when I was a kid. I don't remember actually ever learning to read, but I know that by the time I got to school, I was a very good reader. Well, I, think, that- I think I kind of learnt to read. Sorry, everybody. I think I kind of learnt to read 
by my parents reading to me and sitting on their lap and just starting to see words. There's a, there's a science in that. If you read to your children every night, um, or in the morning, but nights seem to work best when they're off to bed, um, their vocab is there even before they can talk and pronounce it. That's amazing. All right, so all of you who are parents, there is a challenge for you. Get out there and read to your children. My dad sold those My Bible Story. You know that? Yeah. My dad used to go door-to-door, knocking on doors, selling My Bible Story to homes. I know people right now who still do that. You know, they've updated the pictures a little bit, made them a little bit more modern, but, you know, they're Bible pictures, so you can't really... You know, how does a Bible picture ever go out of date? That's right. Oh, and go, go to a good junk store and you'll find them. That's, I've, I've bought several sets, <laughs> several sets that way, and bought them so cheap. Because, you know, they're big hardcover books and there's a full set of them and you can pick them up so cheap sometimes if you get them at a second-hand bookshop. And they but you want the smell, you buy a new one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you want the smell, you can buy the new one because uh, the uh, second-hand ones usually tend to have more of a musty smell but still very, very good. I know that I bought a set for each of my boys to hand on to them so that awesome. they can read them to their children. Uh, when the time comes for them to have children. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Joining me on the phone this morning is Dr. Paul Rankin. Now, Dr. Paul Rankin was featured in a major news story about good health in relationship to the Seventh-day Adventist Church over the past weekend. Dr. Paul Rankin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Laura. Good to be there. Now, this was a... Uh, a fairly major story about our church, which was uh, always a positive thing to see in the uh, in, in, taking place in the news, and it was based around the what we call as sort of a bit of an in-house term the health message. But basically, you know, Adventists believe in living you know a healthy lifestyle, uh, you know, a lifestyle based around good health. What's the what's the basis and the foundation for that? Why is it that? We as a church have had this position. We've had it since the uh, the mid eighteen hundreds. What's what's the what's the foundation? What's the idea behind all of that? Yeah, well, there's a number of things behind it, but I think the main um, principle is that the healthier we are, the better we can serve God. We we our task on earth is to serve God to the best of our ability, and if we're healthy, we can do that a lot better than if we're unhealthy. You mentioned in the article that. You know, we see the human being as being fully integrated rather than made up of, you know, various compartmentalized parts, so to speak. Um, what exactly did you mean by that? Yeah. In Genesis, it says that God breathed, light, uh, breathed breath into man and man became a living soul. Man became an entire being. We can't be divided up into um, soul and body, um, which is separate. And so everything we do affects all of us. Um, we are a united whole. So if we are healthy, it means our brains work better. If we're physically healthy, it means our brains work better. It means that our relationship with God um, is not necessarily better, but being healthy, we can communicate better because we're thinking better. Um, we're working better. We're functioning better. Dr. Paul, you mentioned that you've had a bit of a journey uh, with this whole experience as well. Did you grow up in a Christian home? Yeah. My parents became Seventh-day Adventists when I was a two-year-old. Um, my father was a Seventh-day Adventist minister. And I had always um, followed a, a vegetarian lifestyle. Um, never intentionally eaten, eaten meat. Um, but 
it's very possible to be a very unhealthy vegetarian. I mean, as I said in the article, Fanta and donuts can be, strictly speaking, vegetarian, but they're not necessarily good for you. Sure. Okay. Um, can you can you share with us then a little bit of your your journey with uh, with with health? Yeah. Um. Well, about fifteen years ago, I was in my late forties. Um. I had been overweight since I was a teenager. Um. um just uh, I'm, I'm about five foot six tall, and I weighed about one hundred and fifteen kilos. Um. My cholesterol levels were very very high. My blood pressure was um very high. My Blood glucose levels were borderline type 2 diabetes. Um, and I looked at the future that was going to bring for me, and it didn't look particularly promising. The doctors wanted to start putting me on medication. Um, and so I made significant changes to my um, lifestyle. We changed what we ate to a whole food, plant-based diet, um, avoided processed foods and um, um, sugar-dense foods wherever we could, and started to get some exercise. And I lost 45 kilos in weight over the next 12 months. And saw a dramatic change um, in my own personal health um, and the enormous benefits of for my relationships with people and my relationships with God. Yeah, I just got to say congratulations. That's a solid effort there, 45 kilos in 12 months. And, you know, that was some time ago and you've now been able to maintain this new lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. I sit around 70, 71 kilos um, and I've been able to maintain that. Now, I've got to watch it. It's not something that I think about all day, every day, but I have to be careful what I eat. Um, but maintaining a whole food plant-based diet, yeah, makes it a lot easier. So this was then the result of, would you say, lifestyle change as opposed to dieting for 12 months? Yeah, look, diet. I, I had tried all sorts of diets. Um, you lose some weight and then you put on a little bit more. Um, you lose weight, you put it on a little bit more. Um, a friend of mine refers to it as the rhythm method of birth control. Um, and it really doesn't work that well. It's got to be a lifestyle. It's not something that you can do and then stop. It's, you know, adopting a whole food plant-based diet, as I said, becomes a lifestyle. And it's just the way that you live. Okay, so there's a lot of people probably listening in and going, yeah, okay, that sounds all great, but, you know, I'd miss out on eating this and eating that and eating the other and maybe I'm a really fussy eater or whatever it might be. And... How would I actually live if I went to a you know a whole food plant based diet? If I cut out you know the sugary drinks, all that kind of stuff, isn't that too big of a sacrifice? Yeah, yeah. the old joke: um, Do you live longer, or does it just feel like you live longer? Um, I actually look; it, it's a transition, and it takes um, takes time to transition um, to that food. But there's a whole range of flavors in the food that get disguised by the the sugars and the salt and the, the other things that we throw at our food. And we, we suddenly find ourselves with, or I suddenly found myself with a whole range of flavors and delicacies that I weren't aware existed beforehand. Um, and no, I haven't felt restricted or penalized in any, in any way by um, the change to the whole food plant-based diet. And so how many years ago was it? I think you mentioned it a moment ago. Remind us how many years ago it was that you changed your lifestyle. Um, it was about 15 years ago now. Do you get tempted to go back? No. No. Um, look, if I, you know, I'm now in my early 60s. If I hadn't changed my lifestyle, I would be in significant health issues right now. Um, yeah, because the lifestyle I've been able to do things I never dreamed of. Go hang gliding, ride a bike from the bottom to the top of um, 
New Zealand, um, go out and play um, games with the kids. It used to be that the kids, we were working in Christchurch at the time, the kids and I would go skiing and I'd get to midday and I'd say to the kids, oh, you go on skiing, I'll sit in the restaurant and wait for you. Now we go skiing and we're competing to see if you can get the last run on the day, on the field on the day. You know, it's just, the, yeah, the extra um, joy it brings to life is just amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic testimony because it definitely uh, definitely sounds like it's worthwhile when you uh, when you put it that way um, because there's so much more to gain by changing your lifestyle. And I think what you say is, is significant because I remember when I became a vegetarian and people asked me about it, I'm like, yeah, I did it cold turkey and um, I can even give you the date when I became a vegetarian. And they're like, well, did you miss it? And I'm like, yeah, for about six weeks. But your brain rewires itself and you think you're going to miss all of these things but once your brain rewires itself, you you actually don't, um, and you feel no. so much better for it. Yeah, you, you feel so much better for it. And look, well, um, it's a lifestyle choice. Um, that doesn't mean to say that I don't have the occasional chocolate. Um, you know, that yeah, it's not. But it's my my basic diet. What we eat at home is a whole food plant based diet. We make exceptions every now and again, um, but. Yeah, it's it's the way of living. The base, the base lifestyle becomes a whole food plant based diet. Do you find that when you do have that occasional piece of chocolate, that you don't have that same temptation that you once had just to keep going and eat the whole block? Um, it'd be nice to think that, but <laughs> when it comes to chocolate, maybe it's not the case. Many other, <laughs> things, many other things I used to really enjoy that yeah, just don't. My favourite dessert used to be pavlova. And I actually tried a bit of pavlova about six months ago and thought, oh, golly, that really doesn't taste that good at all. Um, you know, as you say, your tastes do change. Sure. Yeah, I, I, the, the only reason I asked that was because, um, you know, I went on to a drastically sugar-reduced diet, diet some years ago and I used to be quite immune to sugar. And now, you know, I have that piece of chocolate and it's like, oh, man, that sugar hit is hitting hard. I can't actually handle any more of it because yeah. it's... Um, you know, it's just sort of burning its way down the back of my throat right now. But, you know, I think that's important to remember that, you know, this is done in balance, that there are times when you are going to have a special occasion, a bit of a celebration, whatever. That's not going to do the damage because it's not a part of your lifestyle. And well, I think another very important principle is, I mean, the fundamental principle of Christianity is love. Um, and if I went around to someone's house and the only vegetarian dish they could cook was macaroni cheese, I'd eat the macaroni cheese. No problems at all. Because the act of love and sharing that hospitality is more important than very minor health issues it may cause for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like it's going to be something that's part of your, as you say, part of your lifestyle. There's a difference between one-offs and a lifestyle. That's correct. Yeah, fantastic. Now, David, you spent some time uh, working with the South Pacific Division, which for our listeners, that's basically the uh, the headquarters of the Adventist Church, which covers Australia, New Zealand, um, all you know, Papua New Guinea, all your South Pacific Islands, you know, those kind of things. I'm wondering whether you'd be able to comment on the health issues that we're facing in some of our neighbouring countries that are developing countries. Yeah, look, um, well, that's a, a fascinating point and something I'm very, very concerned about. Um, we're seeing an explosion of type 2 diabetes in the South Pacific. Just by way of comparison, there's, what, 26,000 people living in Australia. And in Australia, there's something like about 1,300 amputations due to type 2 diabetes a year. The Pacific, with a total population of about 9 million, has 30,000 amputations due to type 2 diabetes a year. Um, 
and we're seeing um, things like type two diabetes destroying whole pop on well, not whole population but significant percentages of populations in the Pacific. Um, heart disease, which was basically unheard of in the Pacific um, back in the 60s, is now becoming a major um, killer in, in the South Pacific. And it's a tragedy to see, see these societies um, racked with disease, which is, is essentially um, induced by changes in their diet. Why are we seeing these changes? I mean, traditionally, wouldn't these uh, parts of the world already have had a high meat diet in the past what's driving the uh the, the big changes right now yeah look no no they did traditionally didn't have a high meat diet um there was no they didn't have sheep and cows traditionally in, in the cook islands or in fiji um there was some in some countries there was um some pigs which were only used for ceremonial occasions um so their only source of meat was basically fish um and bird life and the fish was caught on the... They had to go out and release and catch the fish. And they got and catching it. It didn't come in tins packed with oil. Um, and we've seen a dramatic shift now from there. It was essentially a whole food plant-based diet to a diet which has now become fairly high meat. And the problem is that a lot of the meat that's eaten in the Pacific is what's considered rubbish meat here, stuff like um, corned beef, you know, lamb flaps, turkeys tails, I meat that basically doesn't get sold in Australia, but gets, gets shipped out to the Pacific to make a profit and seen as a delicacy out there. Um, and this really has um, had a dramatic impact on the health of the Pacific Islands. Yeah, that's um, that's a, a Just, massive crisis that uh, is ta- taking place right there. You're about to say something? Yeah, yeah, Lyle, just by way of um, brief advertising, I was very actively involved in a campaign called the 10,000 Toes Campaign attempting to stamp out type 2 diabetes in the Pacific. So if anyone's interested, go and have a look at 10, do a Google search for 10,000 toes or go to 10,000toes.org and have a look at what's happening there. Yeah, that's a great that's a great program, and I can vouch for that program as well, uh, doing amazing things. Have you been able to see the impact of that, uh, the 10,000 toes program yet? Yes, we have. Um, we've been able to see it in a number of areas because uh, the 10,000 toes is targeted at three specific things first of all it's um basic footage level testing kits so they can actually see where people have got type 2 diabetes and start treating it before they get to the point where they need an amputation the second thing is that um we've been working with health education programs out there um and that's very very successful we've seen whole villages and communities change their lifestyle and the third thing is that we've been working with um upskilling health professionals out there um and we in march we had a South Pacific Society of Lifestyle Medicine Conference, which was sponsored by 10,000 Toes, um, which created an enormous amount of interest in these life, simple lifestyle changes that can be implemented in the Pacific. Fantastic. And Dr. Paul Rankin, um, where is your journey of uh, service for God taking you these days? Currently, I'm um, working as the health director for Greater Sydney Conference. I'm working with local churches there, helping to implement um, health programs for themselves and in their communities. Um, but my journey with Service of God has been a fascinating journey. Everything from working as a pilot for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Papua New Guinea to nursing to director of the health resort, church pastoral work, it's been an absolutely incredible journey. Dr. Paul Rankin, we have run out of time, but uh, just hearing 
hearing that snapshot of your life, it makes me curious. I'm wondering whether uh, we can possibly get you back another time to hear about some of your other adventures. But uh, right now, we do need to continue on with the show. We will be back um, after this song break, 8 o'clock news with Encounter with God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Right now, it is time for... Question of the day. And you would not believe who has called through with a question of the day. Who has called through? Who is on the phone? Hello? Angela. Angela. (laughs) All the way from Michigan. And my question for you, sir, is Hezekiah prayed to live longer. And because he lived longer, he had a son named Manasseh, who was the most evil king in Israel. And my question is, is this an example of a prayer that God honored, freedom of choice, that ended up being a prayer that caused more harm than good? Okay, this is a really, really good question. Not only was Manasseh born... But when the Babylonians heard about the answer to Hezekiah's prayer, they sent ambassadors to they sent ambassadors to the um, to Jerusalem to find out you know about this God who could control their God, their God being the Son. And it's like, okay, who is this God? And rather than sharing his God with them, Hezekiah shared his wealth with them, which meant that when Nebuchadnezzar came to power and needed some cash, he's like, I know where there's a big supply of it, went and destroyed the entire city, burnt the temple to the ground and sent the population into captivity. And so all of this, we would assume, would have been avoided if Hezekiah had not been healed. So did God make a mistake in healing Hezekiah? What is it that is going on here? Okay, to fill you in on the story, Hezekiah fell sick. Uh, He prayed about it. And in answer to his prayer, God sent the prophet Isaiah to tell Hezekiah, write up your will. You are not going to get better. This illness is terminal. And so the Bible says he turned his face to the wall and he cried and he played with God and God turned around and God turned Isaiah around and sent Isaiah back in and said, I've changed my mind. I'm going to give you another 15 years. What are the lessons that we learn from this story right here? The first lesson is this. Sometimes, particularly within the prosperity gospel, you're going to find people who will tell you the only reason that you are never healed is if you don't have enough faith. Well, here we have a situation where somebody was healed who should not have been healed. Yeah, we're dead, we're done. (laughs) That's right. And, and, And as a result of that, we have a lesson where we can see that God knows what is best. And I believe that one of the reasons that God healed Hezekiah was to help us to learn to trust him. And when God says, okay, set your house in order, you're going to die, write your will, it's not going to go well for you, that we should write our will trusting that God knows what's best rather than saying, no, 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 God, we don't want it to be according to your will, we want it to be according to our will. And so God is like, okay, I'm going to record one of these stories in the Bible just so that you can see how badly things go when you don't trust my will. Ah. Now, there's more to it than that because other people would say, well, you know, there were many prophecies uh, about the Babylonian captivity and the rise of the Babylonians to power and so forth, and that would have still happened. Certainly there were those prophecies in existence and certainly those events would have taken place, but under different circumstances. Yeah. God God works with our choices. Um, he does. He, but, but, yeah, he, 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 he has a plan need to trust him, 
But even if we do stuff up, he still is there. He still is there. Now, here's the other lesson that I learned from this story, which I think is an amazing lesson. And one of the reasons why God allowed this to happen, Manasseh was arguably the most evil person who has ever lived. Very much so. Um, You think about the most evil people you can think of right now, and you can probably put Manasseh above all of them. And yet, unlike probably most of the names that you are thinking of right now, Manasseh gave his life to God at the end of his life. And for the last two years of his life, he was a servant of God. And so one of the reasons I believe that God allowed this to happen was not just to teach us, hey, trust in God when God says something is going to happen and you don't like it, it is for the best, but also to give us an example of his power to save somebody no matter how far they have gone in going away from him. 